Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It's the Friday pod. Douglas Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. On Thursday, we talked to offensive linemen and tight ends. And now on the surface, that might not sound that interesting. But I think we've got some interesting situations among the Ohio State offensive linemen and tight ends. So we will run through 10. Nathan, was it 10? I think it was 10 guys on the list. I think they might have all come out. Cade Stover, Mitch Rossi, Joe Royer at tight end. I think they were all out there. And then I think we ran through the five starting offensive linemen, Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones, Donovan Jackson, Matthew Jones, Luke Whipler. Jacob James was out there, right? You said that? Correct. And Enoch Vamahi, right? So that's seven offensive linemen and three tight ends. Woo, it's another fire hose of coverage offered by Ohio State, which we appreciate because then we can talk about stuff and bring it to you guys. Let's start with Donovan Jackson. I think he, we haven't talked to him as much. He's only a second year player. Kevin Wilson keeps comparing him to, (laughs) maybe not comparing him to Trent Williams. He keeps using Donovan Jackson's name in the context of Trent Williams. And Trent Williams is like a $70 million a year left tackle in the NFL right now. So Steven, you were at Donovan Jackson a decent amount. Is that correct? Okay. I was. We got very excited the other day, as we are want to do here on Buckeye Talk, about the idea, the possibility. Give me a 2% possibility, and I accept it as a certainty, of Donovan Jackson being the left tackle for Ohio State in 2023. Does Donovan Jackson think that, or is that just a podcast thing? His direct quote when I asked him, could in an emergency situation, could you slide over to left tackle if something happened to Paris? End quote. I mean, I'm not going to say no smile on my face. He's got the, he's got the build for it. Obviously, he's, he's shorter, just like Trent Williams. Is. He's only six foot four, but he's, he's listed at 315 right now, and he's got a 6'11 wingspan, which was the other thing I said on this pod I was going to ask. A 6'11 wingspan, and he can move. And just like every other five-star tackle in the country, when you're in high school, you play left tackle because that's what you do. So it's not like he doesn't have experience playing there. Um, I also did ask about, you know, is there really that much of a difference between left guard and right guard? And he said, for the sake of, you know, a football conversation, no, outside of just, you know, obviously, you know, hand placement and stuff like that, but it's pretty much the same position. But yeah, if I was at maybe 3% chance that he's 2023 left tackle, I'll go up to 15%. But you asked him if he could be an emergency left tackle this year. Did anybody ask him if he's going to be the starting left tackle in 2023? He got asked like 12 left tackle questions and he did, his answer was consistently, I'll play wherever they want me to play. You know, he gave oh, the team on. answer. No, yeah. no, no. You can't let a guy get away with the team answer. We've got to figure out the future here. Oh, no, nah, I should have come over. We, you've got to be able to squeeze that. Nathan, we got to squeeze that out of these guys. Not. Not I wasn't there. I, 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 that's, I was, a, that's a lot of squeezing, man. That's a big kiss. I'm yeah, here to squeeze. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, so we didn't learn that. So we didn't learn that. So, so, so well, I'm disappointed. I thought we we're going to get an answer to the question. So he can move over as Kevin, Kevin Wilson already said, if there's an emergency, 
He's yeah. the left tackle. He just confirmed that. Um, I don't, I was, I was not at Donovan Jackson at all. I was certainly at other, I was at Luke Whipler and people asking about Donovan Jackson and the general vibe being like, Oh yeah, that guy, he can do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it feels like Nathan, we're getting that vibe a little bit that everybody is backing up. And this is what spring is for. This really is what spring is for, for the emergence of guys who have not played that much to gather up the opinions of the people in the building with them and get a vibe. And this is a vibe guy. This is a, Oh yeah. Everybody's in on Donovan Jackson vibe. It felt like that got reinforced a little bit on Thursday. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a guy when, when Paris Johnson was asked about him, you could tell that he's eager to play with him and that there's a bond kind of developing there. They they're, they're buddies and, but there's also an on-field connection that I think is going to be fruitful on the field or can be fruitful on the field. I thought maybe the most interesting thing we learned today to go back to that left tackle concept, because we were having our own debate about, well, what does he measure out at? And, and yes, the wingspan was roughly accurate with what we'd heard, but when he said that he did 28 bench press reps of 225, he maxed out on earlier this winter, that sort of, again, reinforced to me, just how special of an athletic talent we might be working with here, because that's a pretty good number. It's an especially good number. If you've got a, a long wingspan, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it's, it's tougher sometimes for those longer arm guys to, to crank those bench reps. So it's just further confirmation that this isn't just another offensive lineman, that there's maybe something special here. And now it's just a matter of by installing him in the spring as a starter and letting him work now, how does that help him? Does it help him achieve closer to what his sophomore ceiling is supposed to be this fall? What was the rest of the vibe at Donovan Jackson, Stephen? Again, this is a guy who's a five-star, big-time dude, best in the country at his position, had a limited role last season, but this is his time to emerge. This is like spring is sprunging, right? I mean, it's like uh, tulips and stuff, right? What do you do? Like yeah, stuff unfolds and uh, chrysalis, I don't know, spring, you know eggs and bait, you know, just like little baby squirrels and stuff. And Donovan Jackson emerges from his cocoon as a beautiful uh, 315 pound butterfly. Did he, did he like it? He was out there for a long time. It seemed like, did he like it? Was he basking in the glow of the attention? Was he funny? Was he shy? Was he, what was the Donovan get, let us in on Donovan Jackson. That was a lot of different ways to describe spring, by the way. Spring. It kind of caught me off guard. Um, yeah, he sprung. He he worked the room. He was funny. He had some good <laughs> antidotes. <laughs> um, I think that, uh, he he revealed to us who his roommates are and the fact that he it's him, Zen Machowski, Ben Christman are the offensive linemen, and they just live with Talik Williams. So it's and I was like, that's a pretty big room. He's like, yeah, it's not a r- lot of room to move around. And then we got into how him and Talik Williams basically talk trash to each other every single day. That's all I want. We got to do it. We have to, we can, can we make it a goal? Cause it is guys living together now, but then you might change roommates. Maybe not, but right. It's mm-hmm. like the new school year next year. I think we have a scholarship chart as other sites do. We have a scholarship chart for Ohio state at Cleveland.com. I think we should have a roommate chart. All I mm-hmm. want to know is who lives with who. I think it's so interesting. And I think, I think it just reveals tiny little things. And a lot of times, yeah, you live with the guys, in the same position group. Cade Stover was talking about that. He's like, oh, I live with a bunch of linebackers, you know? But, like, the idea that that Donovan Jackson's in there with Zen Machalski, but then if he wants to block Tyleek Williams and hang out in the living room and block each other, that's all I imagine. If you live with football players, I just think they block and tackle each other in the living room. It's like Chris Farley when he's Matt Foley falling on the coffee table and smashing it. I just imagine smash coffee tables. All I want is a roommate chart. But Donovan Jackson, he's he's got a little bit of a personality to him. He's got a little zing. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a he's a smart kid. Um, he, he he's real personable. Um, he's just very mean on the football field. He he brought up a lot of different times that he loves to get to the second level. He wants to just blast through the first time he sees because there's nothing more fun than being able to block a little guy or to be able to catch a, a blitzing safety or defensive back off guard and take him out as well. So that's almost how he. That's a good. I called him a mauler on a pod earlier this year. That sounds like a mauler to me, a dude who's just, I want to get through this first guy so badly so I can go abuse somebody who's smaller than me. And that, what does that mean for a run game when you got Travion Henderson, when you got a, a left guard who wants to do that? Well, a lot of that, I mean, second level, sometimes you're pulling, you're getting out in front. Yeah. Sometimes you're 
having the initial block on the interior offensive lineman and passing him off and getting to the second mm-hmm. level. That's where uh, you got a mall, but that's where a lot of athleticism comes into play. Athletic guards really make some of that power run game come into play. Cause you got to get out of that stance and get out and get to the hole and get to the linebacker to turn the three yard play into an 11 yard play. And so the potential athleticism of, of a guy like Donovan Jackson, like it, it gets you excited about stuff like that. Anything else? Like what's the, you're the Donovan Jackson expert for the day. What else do we need to know of what he said? I mean, he's em- embracing this. Start. He's ready for this. He's ready to start. He's all like, yeah. he, he feels like he's, he learned a bunch from last year. What do you say about that? Yeah. Going through his first spring, I he, He said it didn't take him long last summer to kind of get acquainted with things. And part of that was because he wasn't here last summer, but he kind of got the Harry Miller treatment where I'm not early enrolling, but I'm on Zoom calls and I'm early enrolling. I'm still getting all that stuff. So he was ready to be, as Ryan Day called him, the seventh offensive lineman as far as a hierarchy was, which is why he was able to be in that kind of, you know, extra offensive line, extra tackle role that we saw, especially early in the season. There's not a lot you can take from that and apply it to right now, but he did take, he said that just being out there and being in a stadium that's not a Texas stadium, that's just got more people in it, that the experience of playing football more than anything else, even if you can't take anything from a technical standpoint for it. But yeah, this is a guy who's 100% ready to be a starting guard this year. And he would be ready to be the starting tackle if they asked him to do that too. Yeah, he's going to be good. He's a guy that I think a lot of people, we, we did an eager to see chart. I think he'd be high on the list for people. They want to see this guy in action. All right. Paris Johnson, Jr. Always interesting. Going to be the left tackle. Nathan, you spent a lot of time with him. Um, What was Paris is always a smart guy to talk to. Like what was, what was the vibe from him? And he's always very honest. And it's like, If it's like, oh, is he excited to be the left tackle? It's like, we've already had like seven conversations with Paris Johnson about, yes, I'm excited to be the left tackle. I'm the right guard now because my team needs me to do that, but I'm really attacked. We all know that. But now we're actually talking to him, Nathan, while he's in the role that he was born and recruited and has prepared himself to play. Right. And I'm always intrigued by the process. And We hear a lot about the process when it comes to those players who aren't five stars, who weren't like one of the top prospects in the country. And sure, like if you were a three star or you were ranked number 219 and you have to grind more and there's more of a process to like fight through just to get an opportunity. But what does process look like for these guys? Because he admits like he came in and thought, I think as a freshman, um, hey, I'm going to come in and take over left tackle, and I'm going to be the long-term left tackle at Ohio State. And it has not gone that way because he this is his first time really playing left tackle here. He played mostly right tackle as a freshman. He obviously played guard all of last year and, and got a little taste of guard even at the end of the 2020 season there in the playoff, getting some, you know, some second string reps. So this is his first time to play left tackle, and he still has – all of those expectations that he had and that everyone was placing on him coming out of high school, he still feels those. He's still like his goal is not just to be Ohio State starting left tackle this fall. That's already established. Now the goal is everything is is with being in mind with being the left best left tackle in the country. But you can't get ahead of yourself on every day looking too far into the future for that. Even the guys with immense talent feel like there is this sort of checklist that they have to attack every day. He says that that came from something he and his mom developed when he was in high school, that you still have to show up every day, checking the boxes of what makes you better that day. So right now it was a lot of talk about just like the mindset that he has. Yes. There was, you know, how did last year being a guard help you? How are you better now? How is the position different? All that stuff. I think there is still though, that concept of knowing, recognizing what you can be and battling against yourself a little bit, not that you're holding yourself back, but just kind of like incrementally raising your expectations in a like professional way or a mature way. And, and just recognizing that you can't get it there. You are going to have to allow yourself to make mistakes, allow yourself to, not be the best left tackle in the country yet because you are making adjustments. You are still learning some things. You do still have a ways to go uh, after spending last year at guard, after not having this position the last couple of years. So that's where I, I was. I wanted to know what is this spring like for him? Cause he's going to be the left tackle this fall. There's no question about that. And we think there uh, there's all the talent in the world there still, but how do you bridge that gap? How do you go from what he says he 
was very conscious of like um, being that 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 in the moment and not letting himself think too much about tackle until they told him he was going to be the tackle. And once they did, now that's the new mindset. So what is what did you have to accomplish this spring to get you to what you want to be in the fall? Did he talk? Does his body changed at all? Did he like drop any weight to that tackle compared to guard or anything? You know, I asked him that. He said not much. He said he was at around 312. That was like his target weight mm-hmm. for last year. He says he's around 310 right now. Okay. He says he doesn't and he doesn't want to get heavier. And in fact, anything, he, he pulled a little bit off because you've got to be maybe a little bit more. You're out there on that island. You've got to, you know, your footwork's got to be good, all that stuff. So it sounds like he's around where he wants to be, doesn't want to get, but certainly doesn't want to get any bigger. They didn't ask him to put on any weight. Yeah. Anything else about Paris Johnson that we want to know? Just we, we want to see him play left tackle. Again, list of stuff in the spring game. Let me see Paris Johnson play some left tackle. I just want to see him slide. I just want to see him be there, right? Like I just, I just want to see him do the thing he's supposed to be doing. So, um, all right. Did, did anyone, I asked Luke Whipler about this. Coaches change all the time. There's a new offensive line coach. It's Justin Fry. It's not Greg Sadrawa. You know, he didn't really go into it. He said, uh, I said, Oh, I guess the voice has changed. Right. You know, it's like everybody. And then Jeremy Birmingham was like, does anybody have a Justin Fry impersonation yet? Because everybody had a Greg Sadrawa mm-hmm. impersonation. Um, well, it, very easy impersonation to nail with Greg Stoudrowa. Kind of like, like, like a version of Coach O. Uh, you know, less, take out some of the Cajun, a little more gravel, a little, you know, not quite as hot and, and not, not as much hot sauce as Coach O, but you can do Greg Stoudrowa. He said the one thing about Justin Fry, Justin Fry says like, aha. Or I think he said that's what he said. Like he puts his finger in the air and says, aha. And they make fun of him for that. I'll be and watching he, that on Tuesday. Aha. So like any better, any other vibe that people got of the transition, these got, there was one of four places where there's new position coaches. Anyone else talk about Justin Fry? Yeah. uh, Donovan Jackson did. He said that Justin Fry is, he's really good for visual learners because he can actually show you instead of you just hearing how to do it. He can actually show you how to do it. And maybe some of that is because Justin Fry is in better shape than Greg Strawa is because he's younger, but he said he's a visual learner. So that, that actually helps a little bit, uh, which when you say something like that, it makes me think Brian Hartline a little bit, not to the same extreme, obviously, because Brian Hartline played it at the NFL, but the idea of you can not only tell your players what to do, but you can actually show them how to do it. It's you probably learn a little differently and you probably take it in a little differently too. So that's the big takeaway I took away from Takeaway I took away from Donovan Jackson's thoughts on Justin Fry. I was uh, Paris Johnson Jr. was also asked about and and went into some details also kind of on the teaching side of things and how they've adjusted the way that they use accountability in the room. And he was going into just one subtle little change where it used to be like the older guys would automatically sit up front in the team meetings and stuff that the O-line would do. And now that's sort of flipped and the younger guys tend to be up front to kind of put them, I think a little bit more on the spot and make sure that they're engaged and that they're not, they're not trailing behind They're They're as much on the front lines as anybody else. So just little things like that, that you're going to, that should happen when you bring in any coach. I mean, they're going to have their own ideas, but also Ohio state probably needed to make some adjustments um, in to find a better performance, a more consistent performance on the offensive line. And this is one way that Fry is trying to do that. Okay, let's take a quick break here. We still want to talk about Luke Whipler. We want to talk about Dewan Jones. We want to talk about Matthew Jones on the offensive line. And then we'll save the tight ends, mostly Cade Stover talk. And he was out there and he went into pretty great detail about his move back to tight end from linebacker. All of that ahead on Buckeye Talk. 614-350-3377. If you want to sign up for the text, again, we always tell you spring ball, great time to get the text, two-week free trial, then bail if you want. If you want to stick around, it's $3.99 a month after that. When I always say that number, it means if you're on your cell phone, send a text to that number, and then you will get back a link automatically, and then you can sign up. And so that's that's how that works. It's not like it just magically starts text appearing in your phone. You got to sign up, but that's how that works. All right. Luke Whipler. I was at Luke Whipler for a long time. Normal stuff. 
center in year two, much more comfortable than in year one. But I really am interested as we build up to get to talk to CJ Stroud on the quarterbacks next week, the continued idea of the processing, the mind of CJ Stroud. And it seems like it really pairs well with Luke Whipler because Luke Whipler, just like we would, we say CJ Stroud's best trait is his brain. I think Luke Whipler's best trait is his brain. He's not the world's biggest center. I don't think he's the world's quickest center. He was a top 100 national recruit. He's definitely a good athlete, but he's a guy who, you know, when he wound up being the starting center last year, the whole thing, the story was like, Oh, Greg Sudrawa said like, we got back from the playoff and the next day Luke Whipler was texting me and saying like, Hey, I want to work on stuff. You know, I want to study film. So Luke Whipler's a film rat, just like I think CJ Stroud is. And I think they have a good connection. I was asked about that. That seems important to me, right? That CJ Stroud's visualization when Luke Whipler gets up to the line and is visualizing the same thing and they're connected and they're saying like, Hey, we need to, you know, they know, well, we need to make this adjustment. Oh, this is coming. I really, I'm, I'm curious to watch, the evolution of Luke Whipler and CJ Stroud working together. Cause it's just the same thing. Everybody in year two is more comfortable than they were in year one. And Luke was saying like how smart CJ is. And he said they are CJ has a much bigger control of the offense right now, which is also what the coaches have said. So for them to grow together, I, I it just opens up a lot for these guys. And that's, you know, that's a big deal for Whipler in terms of setting up the blocking calls and that kind of stuff. The other most interesting thing about Luke Whipler is he was talking about that they were, I guess, before practice, the Big Ten Network apparently, or somebody was showing like the condensed version of the Ohio State-Michigan game from last year, and it was on in the Woody. And Luke Whipler said uh, the TV almost came down. Like they were getting so angry watching the Ohio State-Michigan game. And Nathan when we, you know, we know Ohio State thinks about Michigan year round. We know they have, it's mentioned in practice. We know there's Michigan stuff hanging up inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center at all times. It's never very far from their minds. I do think sometimes the rivalry stuff can be contrived when we force things on them. When it's like, oh, well, I don't know, how much do you hate the maze? If you saw, you know, a, a maize and blue uh, cat walking down the street, would you run it over with your car? And the guy's like, yeah, I guess I would run over a maize and blue cat. And it's like, oh, the rivalry. And it's like, that's not, you know, that's not what it's about. This to me is what it's about. Luke Whipler was agitated after practice. He still felt agitated because he sort of mentioned this. Someone said, hey, you know, you guys talking about Notre Dame or talking about Michigan. He's like, yeah, we're talking about that team up north because they don't say it. And then he mentioned this and that they were watching it before practice. And I said, oh, did that help with practice? And he was like, yeah, he was still agitated about it. As he was talking about it, I said, you look mad. He was like, I am mad. Like he was mad hours later, Nathan, that they had to watch themselves lose to Michigan. And that to me is the real rivalry. That you're mad at the end of March because you had to, it popped up on a TV during breakfast. Those rivalry stories, that's what really shows it to me. Well, I mean, it still should eat at them. And I think it's its going to until Thanksgiving. Because the, at the end of the day, they it wasn't their the best version of themselves. I think that's what probably is going to, to burn in them the most. That they had shown something better in the weeks leading up to that and couldn't summon it in the game where it counted the most. Add into that all of the rivalry stuff. Add into the, you know, how much now Michigan gets to wear it a little bit and talk about it and gloat about it. And I think all that is completely fair. And um, they're going to have to, you know, hear about people asking them about things Michigan is saying or doing up until the Thanksgiving weekend again, because that game got away from them. So as I we were discussing afterwards though. I think the motivational side is important. The instructional side will be just as important. What, what, what are they teaching these players about the deficiencies from that game and how to fix them? So that not only does it not happen again when they play again this season, but it's, it, there were microcosms in that game of things that were problems all season long that have to be fixed across the board. There's two types of losses that bring out emotions. Like what you're describing with Luke Whipler. Losing games that you 100% thought you should have won and losing games where you just got your butt whipped and there was like, you have no argument to come back for it. Clemson was the, we thought we should have won and we saw how they obsessed over that. They had the scoreboard up in the weight room and 
And we saw what the end result was. Now, this Michigan game is you really don't have a comeback for that. So you just got to sit with it for a year. And we'll see, as Nathan is saying, whether it's instruction or a motivation, we'll see what the payoff is next Thanksgiving. It was a reminder that this will hover over this entire season for Ohio State, which makes it interesting because they haven't been in this spot. Because even the last time Ohio State lost to Michigan, it was the one year of Luke Fickle. Urban Meyer came in and like everything kind of got swept away and they were on to the next thing. And of course they were mad about it, but it also was sort of like a new era. This is the same team. It's the same guys. It's most of the same coaches and they're all back. They, it wasn't, it's not some other group of, they lost it. Luke Whipler lost that game. CJ Stroud lost that game. Jackson Smith and Jigma lost that game. Zach Harrison lost that game. Denzel Burke lost that game. They all lost it together. And now they all get to chase that revenge together, Stephen. That is just that is a very real thing that hasn't existed at Ohio State really since the 2004 season. That that's a fascinating. They don't want it, but we talked about Angry Bama a couple of years ago when Alabama missed the playoff in 2019. It's like, oh, here comes Angry Bama. Guess what Angry Bama was? Ooh, pretty good. Angry Bama rolled to a national championship. Now. They were talented Bama. They were Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, Mac Jones, talented Bama, but they were angry. This is talented Ohio State, Stephen, but they're also angry. I'm kind of interested to watch them be angry until the last weekend in November because they, yes, they were angry about Clemson. I think you make a good comparison there, but even this is different, right? This is the Michigan game and they're ticked off. Yeah, because. Michigan's talking about it whenever they get a chance to do it. But also, like, this is the game that you spend all that time working towards and you just drop the ball consistently. But I like the angry Bama thing because it's (laughs) – Mac Jones ends up being what he is. Devontae Smith's Heisman Trophy winner. Najee Harris had a high-level – Heisman Trophy-level running back season for what a running back is in this day and age. C.J. Stroud, Trayvon Henderson, Jackson Smith, the Jigba. And let's see if – and the Alabama's defense wasn't awesome in 2020, but it didn't matter because they were angry. It can be the same thing with this defense. Is it, you know, it doesn't have to be awesome, but is it angry? Because, Nathan, Michigan's been angry about the rivalry for a decade, but then it's, did they have enough talent to back up the anger, right, when they were on their revenge tour? And, yeah, Chase Winovich is good, but, like, they actually didn't. They really just didn't. Ohio State still had better players and often a better plan. I mean, give me a talented team that's ticked off. I mean, what what more do you want, right? That there's there's a lot in place here. I'm just it's everyone's looking. Every, I'm looking forward to the Ohio State Michigan game, just because I want to see what happens. I'm curious about it because something's different. They're off a loss, and to watch this program, this coaching staff, deal with that. I'm intrigued by it, and I just liked this moment, right? If you were writing a 10,000-word think piece that's going to drop the week of the Ohio State-Michigan game, Ohio State's revenge, a year in the making, how the Buckeyes focused on getting the Wolverines back, right? This would be one of the little moments. Maybe it's not the lead, right? But it's little moments like this that you would drop in because I do think they're real. And it's just something different. We've seen a lot of times Ohio State seasons are kind of the same. This one, because of this, is at least going to be different in this way. And it's why I think I don't correlate with angry Bama. I think this correlates more just Ohio State compared to itself, what Stephen was talking about, 2019-20 with the Clemson game. Angry Bama was more about the best program in the country now losing that status But also, no one thought they were better than LSU that year. LSU was clearly the best team in the country. LSU had come along and and stormed this moment and run away with it. And that didn't happen with Michigan last year. People weren't even sure Michigan was better than Michigan State because Michigan State had beaten them. It's a very different scenario to me. I think there's more correlation to the fact that Clemson had sort of usurped Michigan or taken Michigan's place as Ohio State's biggest rival most important rival in not not in emotionally but on the football field and when 
the the revenge tour that Ohio State had to go on to get back, to climb back, to get another game with Clemson and improve something in that game. I think that correlates more to what you're going to see from Ohio State this year. The way that they had something in front of them, they could have taken it. They failed to take it as and, and were prevented from taking it by the way Michigan played, but, but had failures that day. And now they have to climb back to make sure that they are in a position on Thanksgiving weekend again to beat them and win the division and go on to the big team championship game and still be in them. It's like all of that is connected again, but they know they're going to play them again. And it's, it's sitting in front of them in a different way. Michigan also needs to be good because I feel like that takes a little bit of the sting out of it. If Michigan falls back into nine and three mode and 10 and two mode, like they need to be 11. I'm not saying they need to be undefeated heading into that game. Although that would make it awesome for us as people who have to write about it, but they need to at least be, you know, 10 and one heading into that game, man. Cause that's part of the thing with the Clemson thing is this was a playoff game. Clemson was good. It's not like they got Clemson who like, it's not like they got the Clemson of last year. You know what I'm saying? So that, that, that'll help it as well. But if Ohio state is undefeated going into that game, it's still basically a playoff game. Yeah. But and it, the threat, it is a little and the threat when, of having the season derailed is still there. I'll be really curious to see like what the quotes are like, what the, tenor is like from Ohio state that week, because Mm -hmm. I could see a world where Ryan day, like just pulls them back and reminds them, like, don't say anything. We're going to let our play do the talking. We are not going to talk about a revenge tour. We are not going to talk about how we've thought about this all year. Like maybe he won't let them say anything or they will be very blunt and honest and talk about what it's been like for the last 365 days to live with that loss. So the the real question is because obviously they kicked Michigan state's butt. So like we started asking Michigan questions, he's like, I'm already thinking about it. I wonder if he gets asked a Michigan question, you know, right after that game, I can't remember who they play, but right after that game, if he just kind of brushes it off and kind of learns from what he did last year. Yeah. I'll be. Yeah. It's, it's a learning experience for a lot of these guys, right? Like this is new to everybody involved. These are not people who have lost to Michigan, but especially for Ryan day as a guy who didn't grow up in the rivalry, it'll just, it'll be fascinating to watch. It'll be good. It'll be, it'll be interesting to, to, for fans to observe and for us to talk about. So, all right, let's get to Matthew Jones. Who's going to start this year. Who talked to Matthew Jones. I was with him for a bit. And you've written about him. You wrote about him earlier uh, this preseason, right? What's the, is this just a guy who's, was good enough to start last year. The PFF grades would tell you PFF grades that we've looked at a lot would tell you that and now is starting. Like what's, what's the deal with Matthew Jones? The thing that interests me about him right now is again, going back to that, the concept of the process a little bit, but like a guy that 2020 was, was battling to start and lost to a second year guy, Harry Miller, Harry Miller started on that team until Matt Jones had to start for him in the playoff because Jones was sick and, and whatever else is going on with him. And then last year, still, again, fighting for a starting job, but loses out there and now is this sort of utility guy who is appreciated and has a role, but and, and knows he goes into every game probably going to play. But I think it's, a, it's very different for him now. He gets to, you know, pretty much from the start of the spring and certainly by now, halfway through, he knows he is starting at right guard on opening day barring injuries, barring something weird going on, I guess, elsewhere on the line. Like he is Ohio State's starting right guard when it starts a season in pursuit of a national championship. And I'm very curious how that's going to help him, if it's going to help him or it helps any athlete that you get to be. It's, he had to fight to get to where he is, and he, it, it helped him, I'm sure, improve over the years by not having anything handed to him and having to fight for it. But I also think there's going to be something to be gained from not just him being able to focus and maybe build some confidence, not be looking over his shoulder, but just the cohesion of the unit. Offensive line is one of the places on a football field where there's it's demonstrative that the longer a group plays together, it helps with communication. It helps with the chemistry of that unit. They can, they can play more effectively together. They know how to read each other. They know how to tell each other things in the moment. And I I think that's definitely going to help this team. I don't know that it hurt this team, last year that things were still so jostled around until the preseason because those guys were pretty talented, but I think it's going to help this group kind of mold together potentially and 
again, barring injury, barring anybody having to miss time, you get to put that unit out there together that's been together intact since March. I think there's a benefit to that. Remember, I think a year ago at this time, we thought Matthew Jones was going to be a starter because the move was like, oh, they kind of they had needed, they have one sort right. of open spot. And then it was that they put Dewan Jones in the starting lineup and shifted everybody around. And it was like, well, Dewan Jones just forced his way in, but also felt like a little bit like nobody else sort of seized the guard job that then went to Thayer Munford when they moved him inside. And maybe if Matthew Jones had absolutely seized that guard job in the preseason, maybe they never even think about moving guys around, which leads to Dewan Jones being in the starting lineup. So, you know, he's a top 100 recruit who doesn't appreciate stories like this. You know, you come in with kind of a lot of hype. It's Ohio state. There's a lot of good players here. Maybe it doesn't click into place right away for you, but you hang around, you fight for a job, you lose the battle, you fight for a job that maybe you win that battle. We've seen that a lot. We've seen that a lot. You lose the first, you lose. That's actually be an interesting story. Talking to guys who eventually won starting jobs about the time they were in a, a battle for a job and lost it. Like, what's that like? What's it like to lose? Because if you never win a job, then maybe, you know, we'll talk about it. What's it like to lose a battle for a starting job at Ohio State? Hey, we're going into camp all April, all August. The fight is on. The other guy won. What's that like? And to talk to guys who then came back and did it again, and then you won, that could be interesting. All right, Dewan Jones, I do they they call themselves the Jones brothers. That's what they're calling themselves. Matthew Jones. This actually is like, why is Donovan Johnson, Donovan Jackson at left guard and Matthew Jones at right guard? And it's like because then Matthew Jones and Dewan Jones can play next to each other. That's actually as much of a reason as anything, right? Because their last names are the same. Who said they're the Jones brothers? Did Dewan say it? Dewan said it. They call themselves the Jones brothers. Can I can I put forth the idea of calling the right side of the offensive line Jones Beach? Because it's think, a Jones Beach in New York. Jones I Beach. Think, no, I think when they're leading the way for Travion on a block, it should be called keeping up with the Joneses. Oh, <laughs> I think that's a win. <laughs> Thank you. I'm here all week. Um, that's a winner. Yeah. I'll charge next year. You know what you should do? You should give that line to Travion for him to drop in a news conference and he can act like it's his. He's like, hey, what, what, what happened on that run? Quick. He's like, hey, man, I'm just trying to keep up with the Joneses. He will, he'll be on SportsCenter. Oh. And be like, he'd be like, just going to text him. Shout yeah. out, shout out to my guy, Steven. See if he gives you any credit for the line. All right. Dewan Jones is back. Steven, you talked to Dewan Jones. Tell the good people what he said his NFL draft grade was. Yeah. Obviously, there was a question of did he play well enough that he can go get go pro right now and maybe slide into maybe the second or third round as maybe a developmental guy, maybe the Tommy Togiai way of doing things. No, that's not why he's back. He's back because he was a fourth or fifth round grade and they didn't really go into detail. I asked him to kind of expand like what were some of the things they were talking about. A lot of it was consistency as a pass blocker. Um, and I'm pretty sure they're talking about the Michigan game when, you know, all the, it's, it's not even that fact that, you know, the number one pick in the NFL draft kicked your butt that day. It's the, the penalties more of anything else. It's not just, you know, you can't just, I'm, we're, we can't just keep saying, Oh, you got your butt beat by the guy who's going first in the draft. Cause everybody got their butt beat by the guy who's going first in the draft. That's why he's going first in the draft, but it's the consistent. He was a great run blocker, but his consistency as a pass blocker needed some work and consistency. And he really wanted to come back and focus in on that. And Justin Fry has been great for him in that aspect of improving in that note, which also explains the Kevin Wilson quote of more have being consistent in one-on-ones and against the pass blocking i don't think kevin wilson never said anything about anybody's ability to run block with these five he talked he talked at length about their ability and in, in pass in pass protection and dewan jones went into that as well that's why he got that fourth or fifth round grade and if he comes back and he improves on that especially in this offense where they're going to throw the ball 35 plus times a game with without talking about rpos he's got a chance to really improve his stock and maybe be a first or second round pick that surprises me a little bit. He has such traits. Fourth and fifth. I mean, it, it, it tells you. It also tells you, like, if he got, like, a t- day two grade, he might not be here. So, yeah. congratulations, Ohio State. I, I wonder if, like, day. yeah, yeah, I think he'd have been gone. 
the fourth or fifth round, because it does seem like with him, he's still at that point where his ceiling might be super, super high, but the floor might be just as low. And there were enough teams who looked at that and said, hey, you're a little too close to the floor right now for us to take that much of a chance on it. Yeah. I mean, the, tr- the traits are obvious. I asked, I was there for him a little bit. When my second job, when I worked in Delaware, our high school writer, again, we were talking about the other podcast about, hey, uh, being in the office. I was in the office a decent amount back then. And we had a high school writer who was like 80 years old, who covered high school sports in Wilmington, Delaware for like 40 years. So we'd always have like a prep athlete of the week, but he was just calling high school kids all the time and just writing a million stories on high school kids as a good high school writer does. And every, like you'd be here, it's like back when you're in the office, you hear everybody else's interviews, right? You're sitting in your cubicle and that guy's over there doing his interview. So he'd call up a kid and the the very first thing, and the first three seconds of the interview, he'd say, what is your height and weight? Every single interview. He's not like trying to ease in and like get guys comfortable. What it, but you know what happens when the very first question you ask in every interview is what is your height and weight? You always know their height and weight, which you always want to put in a story about an athlete. So we now, we are not the height and weight beat but we are the wingspan beat and podcast. Yes. We yes. are now officially going to ask every person in Ohio State, what is your wingspan? Don Dewan Jones, seven five. He said his wingspan is seven five. So that's good. So I was like, oh, that is quite long, Dewan. How does that help you? And he said one of the things, Stephen, this is sort of talking about that consistency. He said he has a tendency to early in a pass rush, reach his arm out Mm. and try to just almost like block the guy with his arm and not be sound and not be technique sound. And the guy can just run through his arm and Mm. get around him. But he said, if I'm in the right position and I do the right things and then I get my arms out, I'm forcing those pass rushers so wide every single time that they can't get to CJ. But actually, he sort of indicated that sometimes his length, he uses it as a crutch and just reaches. And it's like, no, 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 you can't reach. So I was like, okay, so your your wingspan's good. You know where you need to work on that. I said, how are your feet? He's like, my feet are okay. I need to be a little better with that. And he said, like, actually, I'm going to go work on that right now. And then I was like, oh, okay, whatever. And then like five minutes later, he's overdoing, he's sliding. Boom, boom, boom. And it's like, I don't know. It's like, are you just showing off for me? Because no, but of course he was going to do that anyway. But it's like there's a lot. Whoa, there is a lot there, and so following the progress of this guy is going to be fascinating this year. Because as Greg Sudrawa said three years ago, if it hits, he's a first rounder, and he's like on the path to getting there. But Stephen and him saying I'm a fourth or fifth rounder last year, he's not there. But he can get there. So again, on the list of guys I want to see put Dewan Jones on that list because I want to see what Steven, what Dewan Jones year two starter looks like. Cause if it hits, watch out. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's, a, there's a path. It's just a long path. And I think if I'm not mistaken, did Paris Johnson have a nickname for him and Dewan Jones too? I the, know Nathan, you were over the there. The destruction but... brothers. Yeah. Which, I didn't hear that. Which is a wrestling reference. Dewan Jones said, and I was like, I'm old. What, what, what? And he said, Kane and Undertaker. And Dewan Jones says, I'm Kane because I'm taller and yeah. he's the Undertaker. So last year on that side of the line, they were the Destruction Brothers. And I, and I said, can you still be the Destruction Brothers now if you're the opposite each other? He's like, yeah, 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 we can still do that. And then I said, you guys should kind of come up with like some kind of Destruction Brothers, like little celebration or something. So Planting that seed, <laughs> Destruction Brothers, again, NIL opportunities. I don't care about them, but if they go make some money, maybe the, maybe a construction company, they could be the Construction Brothers. Or they could be like, hey, what could that be? Like a, like a, a company that redoes your kitchen? It's like they could have Dewan Jones and Paris Johnson come in. No, 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 no. They need to go talk to IHOP. And like destroy... A stack no. of pancakes? Yes. Okay. They need, the uh, they need a pancake. Deal. Because their celebration is literally just like CJ's jersey is clean at the end of the day. That's true. Like, 
You know, I don't know if good job. We didn't get our quarterback killed. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. But they should do that. Maybe they could do that like to the camera at the end of a game over a big win. They could pull CJ yeah. over the camera and Paris and Dewan could point to CJ's clean jersey and be like, oh, they could do also, they could probably do like a tide commercial too. That it's like, you know, if I like you, the tide commercial. If you have bad tackles, you need tide. But if you have Dewan Jones and Paris Johnson Jr., CJ Stroud doesn't need tide because look, look, he's clean, he's clean, he's clean. But then they could show like bad tackles and that like the quarterback comes in and he's covered in dirt. Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones. It's, it's some yeah, something about how, you know. <laughs> Something about how they're the, 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 they're synonymous with Tide. I like how yes. I say I, I don't want to talk about actual facts about NIL, but I would like to come up with fake commercials for yes. 45 minutes. That's my NIL contribution. Any other offensive line stuff we need to cover? Anybody? J- Nathan, you said you talked to Jacob James a little bit? I did just because I hadn't. <laughs> it was fun yeah, to kind of deal. Spring gets to know these guys a little bit. I mean, he's uh, a guy who had played tackle throughout his career, but is a center. Now that is his identity. And uh, that adjustment mostly for them happened last year, but now it's kind of coming around. He says that he gets to work with CJ Stroud a little bit, but the better rapport is building with Tom McCord, which is, uh, I think, an important thing to think of for the future. That's the guy he works with the most now is like the second team center. I was asking him a lot of questions about other guys and we was asking him about Whipler in particular and what sort of sets him apart. And he said that they both came in on a visit during the recruiting process together. And just from the time that they were together talking to the off talking to the coaches you could tell that Whipler was just popping like he like the the stuff that he was picking up that they were talking about from an offensive scheme standpoint, a, a play calling standpoint, whatever was just like he got it immediately. And it made Jacob James kind of realize like, oh, man, like I got to go up my game. Like if this would this is what it is to be that position at this level, I've got to go learn how to do that. So that's sort of the process that's unfolding for him now, too. I said to Luke Whipler, how much do you like football? Because Luke Whipler, again, like he just he just wants to talk about the things he knows about football. And he said, I love football. And it was like, that was all. And I was like, well, I, I could have been one of those like, well, describe how and describe how you love football. And I think his answer just 10 times in a row would have been like, I love football. Like, shut up so I can leave and go study football some more. I love it. Yeah. What does love mean? What does love mean to you, old man? It's all encompassing. It's my very being. It's what I think about when I wake up and I think about when I go to sleep. It's what brings me joy. It's what's going to put food on my table. It's my reason for existing. Being here with my brothers, it's the whole point of life itself. I love it, old man. He said that? Or did he just like scream that? Or did his eyes just scream that into your soul? I'll put that in the story in in parentheses. There you go. That's like the the party well, that's you, left it's like those like it's like those fake quotes on Twitter where it's, a guy says it and then you go Luke Whipler, yeah probably right. <laughs> probably yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's what he was feeling in his heart, but mostly he just with his mouth he said I love football. Is and he mean eyes, to you? No, no, no. He's just he's okay. he was a lovely person. Everybody, yeah. it was great interviews again today. I just have reached the point where I understand when people are tired of me asking the questions. And it's like, okay, I'm, I, I won't do this to you anymore. You would like to go on with your life right now. Okay. Offensive line is done, which means it's caged stover time. Next on Buckeye Talk. Read our stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU. Drop a review at Apple Podcasts couple good reviews lately saw a one-star review in there that was a little interesting to read which is fine which is fine you're allowed we we don't ask for five-star reviews we ask for your review we want an honest review and if you think we're one star or three stars or four stars or two stars that's great we just like the feedback because we go in and check them and read them sometimes so we'd love to have some more of those see what you guys are thinking about buckeye talk read the stuff though because it is a website cleveland.com slash osu that's kind of how we pay the bills. Uh, and make sure if you listen to Buckeye Talk, just make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any. Joe Royer, Mitch Rossi out there among the other tight ends. G Scott, not there. 
I didn't get to Royer or Rossi. We can't get to everybody. We don't have any particularly insightful things to say about Joe Royer or Mitch Rossi because we didn't spend a lot of time with them. Is that correct? Nathan nope. and Steve. Yeah, yeah okay. that's very correct. So we apologize. I, my recorder was at Mitch Rossi. We'll go back and yes. listen. And I'm sure that they are fine football players who are working hard and best of luck to them. But again, if anybody cares about this, it's just it's a fire hose. They have six tables set up inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. And guys are just coming out and going to tables. And there are moments when there are five Buckeyes talking at the same time. And I don't know if you noticed, but there's not five people on this podcast. But thank goodness for us. We have three people there. There's some outlets. There's some outlets that have more. But there's a lot of outlets that have fewer than three people. So, you know, Landis is there by himself trying to do all this stuff. And so you try to cover as much as you can. It's basically impossible to cover all of it. But then, go. you guys are certainly welcome to go read 11 Warriors and Letterman Row and The Dispatch and The Athletic and Landis and everybody else who's out there covering Ohio State because in moments like this, we all do a little something different because you can't be everywhere at the same time. I came in slight, excuse me, slightly late and saw that you guys were at other important people and Cade Stover was sitting down as I came in. And so I was there for the entire Cade Stover experience. And it was interesting to get his side of this process, but he really did confirm the thing, Nathan, that I thought was really interesting was someone said, someone asked a really good question. It wasn't me. Did you need to go try this linebacker thing one more time before you could finally settle at tight end? He was like, yes, that he needed. You said, Nathan, you like the process. His process is very interesting. And it feels like he felt like I had to do this and now I'm back. And it, didn't necessarily come from uncertainty. It just came from this inner drive of if, if I'll always have the regret, if I don't give myself this shot at linebacker and to hear express that Nathan, I think that's what we would have expected him to say, but it's a, still an interesting journey for a player to go on. And I wonder if that was going to happen anyway, if the Rose bowl hadn't unfolded the way it did where they needed his help and he had to go give them some extra body and, and actually play real reps at linebacker did that if that had never unfolded the way it did would he have had to go through this process or was he going to be locked in a tight end and will this help him be a better tight end in the long run because he got that out of his system and now knows that this is his best future with Ohio State football he's got a little edge <laughs> to him a little bit yeah and I'm not gonna call it a little bit <laughs> he's nasty yes which is Pretty good trait for a football player. Steven, he talked a lot about bringing that defensive identity to the offensive side of the ball. And I said, how will we see that? How will we see that defensive attitude at tight end? And he said, I think you'll hear it. And I'm paraphrasing, but it was like the implication of like, you're going to hear it when I'm cracking people Yes. While I'm blocking them as a tight end. And it was like, okay. Uh, like he, yeah. like you can see that if he can transition that and he sort of Steven, he sort of said like, I didn't necessarily have that last year because I was trying to learn the position and I was new to it. And so it's, he has experience. He also went and tried the other thing. And now he came back and it's like, now he knows this is his thing. It's just talking in March, Stephen, but I kind of buy the idea of like, oh, no, now that you're locked in and you've had this year and you're dedicated to bringing this defensive attitude to the offensive side of the ball, you actually maybe will be quite good at this when it comes to being a blocking tight end who's going to be out there a lot. Yeah, I think he can be every bit as good as Luke Farrell is in that inline blocking role, and here's why. He wants to run through somebody's face. And it doesn't matter if he has the ball in his hands or not. He just wants to run through somebody's face. And that's part of why he kept flirting back with linebacker. Because if you're a will linebacker, you just run through people's faces. This mm-hmm. is, I want to, he wants to hit people. He's a kid from, you know, a small town in Ohio who works on a farm. He's the prototypical small town linebacker. 
from the 1980s. That's exactly what it is. And then when you're trying to learn some of the nuances of a position, because it's not just being, even if you are the blocking tight end, it's not as simple as, hey, go find somebody and run through their face. No, there's a little bit more nuance to that. But now that he knows what he's doing, he gets to go run through people's faces. He said, see if you guys can guess. He said there was one particular recent Buckeye that when he got to Ohio State, he looked at that guy and said, that's who I want to be like. That guy's tough. That guy's dedicated. That guy's a leader. That guy does whatever the team needs. That's a guy that people look up to. That's who I want to be. And he said, I'm now as old as that guy was when I got here. You guys want to try to guess? It's hard. Get a rack your, it's a good guess. Got to rack your brain of like recent Buckeyes. Oh, we was, the oldest when he the got here. Yeah, that means he's either been a senior. Can, Defense. Can get Defense. 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 Tough brother. Jonathan Cooper. Hmm. So he was like, Coop. That's interesting. So now Jonathan Cooper, right, in the end, what do we know Jonathan Cooper for? Being a good player? Yeah, he's seventh round pick is in the NFL. He was a good player for Ohio State his last year. But really, he's the block O. He's the selfless senior. He does what any, any, anything the team needs. Cade Stover is now locked in on that. And so this constant balance that, that Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day talked about, you've got to do what's best for you because that's the best way to help the team. And he sort of reinforced that. I said, what's the balance like of what's best for the team and what's best for you? And he said, what's best for the team is for me to be doing what in my heart I feel like I need to do. And that will be best for the team. And that has brought him back here. Now, he also did kind of say it was like, you know, as much as the coaches were like, hey, it's his decision. He was like, well, you know, they were, you know, they had an opinion. So Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson didn't sit there with their mouths shut the whole time and just be like, what? So he didn't say feel, he didn't feel pressured, but he kind of knew what the people thought he should do. But he had to go through this. And the idea now it's done. I said, like, did you ever worry about like, if you keep going back and forth, you're going to fall through the cracks. And he was like, nah, I just think I believe in myself too much to think I could ever fall through the cracks. And Tim may said like, what are you in your heart? Like, are you a linebacker or a tight end in your heart? And he said, I'm a ball player in my heart. And then it's like, he's going to go kill people. <laughs> like he's, <laughs> he is going to block people 15 yards off the line of scrimmage. So it, it's what we spent a lot of time in the last couple months talking about what are they going to do at tight end? What are they going to do at tight end? I almost feel like they got this guy in the portal. It's like, Oh, they got this tight end in the portal. Who is he? It's like, it's like if they got chip train him, right. It's like, Oh, they got this guy. He was a tight end somewhere else. And then he played a little bit of linebacker. He was a top 100 national recruit. He's physical as all get out. All he wants to do is get on the football field and hit somebody. And he's going to be the new tight end who's going to block people. It's like, they're really excited about him. It's like, yeah, but he was in the building the whole time. They just finally figured it out. So Nathan, I don't want to go too far, but it's okay to be excited about the potential of players and trying to see again, give me my list. 10 guys I want to see. I want to see the new cage Stover at tight end. I want to see the locked in reinvigorated. Here we go. I'm 260 pounds. Tell me who to block and I'm going to destroy them. I'm curious to see that version of Cade Stover because it's quite possible. It looks quite a bit different than I'm backing up Jeremy Ruckert. I've never done this before. I actually have defense in my heart. I'm not sure if this is right for me. He could be a new player. I've tried to kind of parse what some of the things Kevin Wilson was saying the other day about him because how good do his hands need to be? I know that they don't use the tight end that much. There'll never be a primary receiver in this offense but you want the threat to be there to keep other teams honest. So how much development does he still need to have on that side of the ball? I think hearing about his mentality, his size is there. I think they could teach him to block how much of a receiving occasional receiving threat does he need to prove himself to be in order to just maximize what they want to leverage out of that position in the offense. 15 to 18 catches. But I don't think, he needs to run a lot of 20 yard routes down the seam. No. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think they have to threaten them at the second level with the tight end in the passing game. There was that play. Was it early on like two years ago where they crossed Farrell and Ruckert deep mm -hmm. 
and I, one of them got way open, and it's like a design. They're not going to run that because no. they ran a pass to Cade Stover down the seam last year, and he got that, knocked was, on it. He got knocked out. Yeah, it was like kind of open, and it, like it didn't really work out. And was like, well, like kind of, what did you kind of think was going to happen there? Like I guess theoretically, right? It was right down the seam. He ran straight down the hash, and C.J. Stroud like put the ball like two inches over the defender's helmet, right on Cade Stover's hands. And theoretically, it's a good play, but it's also like you're not putting that guy in the best position to succeed. So I think they need to be a little bit smarter than that. He said he's excited to get the ball in his hands. And to, as you said, Stephen, that he can run through someone's face while he has the ball. But I think they can throw him the ball twice a game, one and a half times a game, once a game. But it's more tight end screens. It's little stuff in the middle of the field. I just don't think we're going to see him to try to stretch the field because they'll just do that with Jackson Smith and Jigba. Like we don't, they don't have to have him run a 25 yard route for this offense to work. I think he just might be like a safety valve or like a delayed route where he's in the block. And then if nothing's open downfield, then you'll see him pop out just to give CJ somebody to go to the ball with. If they don't always want that to be the running back. That's true. I, I do think though, they need to believe in his hands in the red zone. I think they need to be able to believe in his hands in, in, you know, third down situations like, but Kevin Wilson, I thought said something interesting on Tuesday, which was he thinks the blocking is farther along than the receiving stuff, but he still thinks that there's a high ceiling for the receiving stuff for Stover because of his, yeah, just his athleticism. He does have background with the ball in his hands. It's just, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out, (laughs) <laughs> the the Stover that exists today and the Stover that can exist in two years if he stays on this, if he is locked in and gets all these reps now, like if, if the true best version of him is still a year away. But in the end, because we were talking about, eh, they have some tight ends who probably can catch it. They just don't know if they have a tight end who can block. They have a tight end who's ready to go block like a linebacker. And then will they catch it? This is a much better thing for the yes. way their offense works, what mm-hmm. they need. And then I can, I'm not going to ever remember the guy's name. I'm not, I apologize. He doesn't play for Ohio state. I can't remember his name. The Oklahoma tight end that Kevin Wilson Wilson referenced earlier this week that he said is one of his favorite players. He was a fourth round pick and he thinks Cade Stover could be on that path. I asked Cade Stover and I said, I'm old, I'm dumb. I forget things. I can't remember the guy's name. And he was like, Oh yeah, this guy, Kevin Wilson and I watch film together of that guy all the time. <laughs> so like he didn't say, oh, we started watching film of him when I became a tight end again this week. I think it was like <laughs> Kevin Wilson, while while Kate Stover was making his own decision, Kevin Wilson was like, by the way, have I shown you the film of one of my all-time favorite players who happens to be a tight end from the country who reminds me of you? Come on in. Let's watch some film. So like this guy, Kate knows what they think he can be. And he knows what they need him to can be. But I thought he made it clear. He now knows, and that's where they had to get. He now knows. It's really interesting. I, I think it's a very interesting process, um, and it goes back, Nathan. It's a little bit of the kind of stuff that Ryan Day talks about in the old days. Ryan Day has definitely said like stuff like this in various capacities. In the old days of coaching, you told players what to do, and they did it, and that's not how you do it anymore. And I think this is an example of that. You know, I think that pops up in a lot of ways, but it's this tough love. It's not tough. Do what I say. It's we're going to think about what you want. And I think it's kind of how you coach a little more today, but I think Ryan day sort of leans into that. And I think on the list of ways that Ryan day backs that up, I think this is an example. It's not even so much like, let you do what you want. It's just now everybody wants to know the why. So it's, it's, it's easier to sell somebody on it if they see what you're seeing and realizing I'm ninth in the linebacker room and I'm first in the tight end room and my ceiling also might be higher there. Even if all I want to do is go hit people, you know, instead of just yelling that at a kid, let him go find it out for himself because he'll mm-hmm. come back. You send a kid out there because you know he's going to eventually come back on his own. And then it makes it, it makes everybody's job easier because now he's happy about doing it. It just seems like it would be an, a, a fairly easy sell to make. I understand why he had to go back and, and take this time at linebacker, but I think they could look him in the face and say with sincerity, you're one of our 25 best football players, 22 best football players. We want you on the field. It isn't going to happen at linebacker. 
but here's an opportunity for you to be on the field a lot this spring and in a role that Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day kind of won't shut up about how important it is to have kind of someone, anyone that they can trust at all playing linebacker and how crucial they feel like that is to opening up the whole offense. I do think on the list of things we might want to track this year, Stephen, you could have a Cade Stover running through someone's face counter. You know, how many times did that happen this year? So, um, so yeah, it was interesting to hear. We'll write more about this, right? I think Nathan, you're probably going to write something about Paris Johnson Jr. And Stephen, you're probably going to write something about Donovan Jackson. And I'm certainly going to write something about Cade Stover. So go to cleveland.com slash OSU. You'll find some more stuff there. Sometimes words that are said and talking, eh, it flies out of your head. So you go read it and then lock it in. Like, oh, I really know about my Buckeyes now. Uh, the text also a great way. Short reading right in your phone, 614 614- 3503315. I'll be honest. I thought this was a good week. Good week on Buckeye Talk. Monday Madness, two hours of undult, unadulterated football, rapid fire that got into some really good stuff. Buckeye retalkables on the 2012 Final Four game and some good offensive line and tight end talk. That's a good variety. We gave you, there's a lot that we went long on some too, not as long today, but a good week on Buckeye Talk. We appreciate you guys being part of it. We'll catch you next week for now. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.